Amen. All right, well, we're in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bibles, next four weeks, we're going to be in Luke. If you have your tablet, smartphone, whatever you got, open them up. Uh, by the way, uh, as Kyla said, yeah, next four years, probably. Uh, Kyla said we're in November, or somebody said we're in November. You know, that means that we're uh, almost ready for our Christmas series, which is really weird to say. Like, where did this year go? But Christmas is almost here. But we're not there yet. We're still uh, in the book of Luke because it's only November. Does anyone even decorate for Thanksgiving anymore? I mean, it's just like, have you noticed? They just skip it. Like, wait, hold time out. Life is fast enough. Like, slow down. I am going to thoroughly celebrate Thanksgiving and then... I'll put up the Christmas lights. But here we are. So today, chapter 16, again, I, I think it's fun to follow along, especially in your Bible. Even this week, I was feeling that conviction to really open up my Bible. But if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, use your tablet or your smartphone. Again, I think it's good to follow along. But even there, if you don't want to do that, we're going to put it up on the screen. So we're going to be in Luke 16. You're going to love this passage. It's very powerful. And he, Jesus is going to tell us the story, and he, and he introduces two characters. This is a very interesting story to me. I, I loved studying it this week. But you have one man who they, uh, Jesus simply says is the rich man. And then another man he gives a name and he says his name is Lazarus. So let's go ahead and pick it up. Verse 19. Again, this is Jesus telling this story. He says, there's a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. He wore purple. When I was in Israel, uh, actually it was in Nazareth. I don't know if you guys remember this for those of you that went with us, but we learned that that color purple, that color purple, it was actually um, the way they got it, pretty time intensive. And the reason it was so expensive is they had to crush thousands of these uh, shellfish to get that color purple. So it was a very expensive dye. So again, just imagine this guy, he's dressed in purple. That means he's doing just fine in the wealth department and then at his gate is another man right and it's and the bible says it's a beggar named lazarus now the bible goes on to give some description about lazarus it says he's covered in sores and this verse 21 says he's longing to eat what what fell from the rich man's table he goes on to describe even the dogs came and licked lazarus's sores all right so jesus he's setting the team we got two men I want you to notice the contrast between these two men, right? The contrast between how they walked on earth, how they experienced life in this world. One man, he's a rich man, he's wearing that purple clothes. But then the other man, what? He's a beggar. He is hungry. He's covered in sores. Now, as I keep reading, I want you to pay attention to that contrast. Kind of hold on to it if you can. But in many ways, what you're going to see as we keep reading, their positions are going to flip. The contrast is still there, but it's going to flip as the story progresses. So I want you to pay attention how the rich man, he's going to become poor. By the end of the story, the poor man is rich. The rich man on earth who is inside the gate, that poor man, he who is on the outside of the gate, by the end, the beggar is going to be on the inside. The rich man is going to be on the outside. That man, again, the rich man who didn't suffer on earth, uh, while uh, uh, now he's going to, at the end of the story, be suffering in agony, the Bible says, while that man who suffered on earth, Lazarus, he is now no longer going to to suffer. Pay attention to that as we go along. Oh, and then remember, who is he speaking to or who is listening in? We got the Pharisees. We got those religious leaders who are listening in. None of that is by accident. He wants them and their hardened hearts to hear this story. So verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's 
died. The rich man, he also died and was buried. In Hades, where he, the rich man, was in torment, he looked up. He saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Again, are you catching? Are you following, right? They had this experience before their death, but now things begin to flip. The angels, it's beautiful, right? The angels, they carry the beggar to Abraham's side. By, by Abraham, Abraham's side. It's beautiful. It's powerful. If you know anything about Jewish culture back then, right? What, where was that place of honor at the banquet? Right? Where was that place of honor? It would always be right next to uh, the, the banquet host, to the side of the host. And here the beggar who wished, uh, Jesus had described, he wished that he could just be under the table with the dogs to eat the scraps that fell off the table of the rich man. But now he is by the side of the father of all believers, Abraham. No more begging. No more sores. No more outside the gate. Beautiful, right? Beautiful. Peaceful. Powerful imagery. But as for the rich man, Jesus says, he died and was buried. He died, was buried. Now he's in Hades in torment. Again, a switch has taken place. And the rich man, he calls out. Jesus says he calls out just for some relief. Could I just get some relief from the agony of this fire? He asks Abraham to show him some pity. Lazarus, it's incredible, right? He says, to dip the tip of his finger in some water to cool my tongue. I mean, this shows you, by the way, how intense this agony is, that just a drop of water would be relief. But Abraham replies, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus, he received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, there's a great chasm that's been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So anyone watching today, whether you're in this sanctuary or whether you're watching online, just in case you were wondering if you could change your mind about God maybe after you die, just in case you were wondering if you could change your position with God after you take your final breath on earth, I think this statement gives a pretty clear picture there's no crossing over, even if you wanted to. So then he says, well, then I beg you, Father. Right? If there's no hope for me, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. I got five brothers. Warn them. Right? Let Lazarus go and warn them that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They have Moses. Right? They have the law. They have the prophets. Let them listen to them. I think this goes back to Jesus' frustration over how the Jewish leaders had been handling the law. If you remember earlier in 16, I was going to actually preach on that message on a marriage and divorce, but I got tremendously sick, so that didn't happen. But if you remember, he's very frustrated with the way God's people have handled the law. And because by this point, if you go to the larger story of God's people, like the people of God for generations... God has already been sending a very clear message. It has not been vague. A clear message of one, who he is, but also two, what he requires. 
for a long time, for generation after generation, through his law, through Moses and the prophets, communicating his love, his grace, his compassion, his mercy, his faithfulness, his justice, his expectations, his commands for so very long. And yet, as God has been tremendously faithful, his people, come on, have you read the Old Testament? They have not been faithful to God. Though he has been faithful to them, they have not been faithful to God. So this would include the rich man. This would include the rich man's five brothers. They haven't been listening to God. This man has an idea. I know. Send Lazarus to warn them. Abraham says no. They already have Moses and the prophets. Rich man, he's tenacious. He doesn't give up. In verse 30 he says no. Father Abraham... But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Right? Maybe, okay, haven't been listening to your law, haven't been following your commands, but if someone from the dead goes to my five brothers, then they will repent. He says, no. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And think about, by the way, who's telling this story. Jesus, who will rise from the dead. And yet we also know many people, even to this day, will still not believe in him. Jesus had a high view of the law and the prophets. Did you know that? He loved his father's word. A high view of the law and prophets. In fact, we know that Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law, but to fulfill the law. We're told that Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the law. In the famous Sermon on the Mount, right? We all know this one. But he calls the people of God to come back to the law, but not just the letter of the law, but what? To the spirit of the law. The the true heart of the Father. What it really means to love God and to love others. What it means to even love your enemy. Oh, we need that word today. To love your enemy. To turn the other cheek. To give freely to those in need. And and he, he shares this story about the rich man. And he shares this story about the beggar. But you can just see it comes from this place of frustration. Probably a place of grief. Sorrow over God's people. Especially the leaders of God's people. They're hardened hearts, their stiff-neckedness, their hardened hearts had misinterpreted and rejected the law of God. Really, they had rejected God himself. And a word from Lazarus or a dead man raising from the grave, guess what? Nothing's going to change that heart. You need to hear this. You need to hear this today. Because outside of Jesus, you're in a world of hurt. You need to hear, because there's this thing, there's this idea in our world right now that says at the core of who we are as human beings that we are good and so we can kind of just choose to do good right if we'd all just kind of behave we could make this thing work but that is so far removed from what the bible says about us yes when he made you he stepped back and he said it is good absolutely but when sin entered your heart sin we, we play around with sin as if it's just some little thing to kind of just talk about every once in a while in Sunday school. No, sin has corrupted the good work that God has made. Sin comes in. Isaiah 64, 6 says that now as a sinful man or sinful woman, your best attempt at righteousness 
your best attempt at a good work, your best attempt at righteous living. He says it is like filthy rags. It is the same as the rags that a woman would use in her menstrual cycle. That's what it means in Isaiah 64. That's your best attempts before God outside of Jesus. By the way, that message does not preach well at all in 2020. But that's what the Word says. Now we know Jesus. Aren't you thankful that we're worshiping Jesus today? We know that Jesus came in and He paid the penalty for our sin. He removes our sin. He washes us clean. He brings us back into a good, right, fresh, clean, garden relationship with God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But outside of Jesus, we need to see this. There's a stubbornness. There's a wickedness in fallen humanity that will reject God again and again and again. We see this in human history. We see this in our current history. But come on, outside of Jesus, we see that in ourselves. We see that in me. We also see that in the Bible, don't we? That's why I love reading the Bible every day. The same people who rejected God's law, guess what? They're going to reject God's Son. The same men who misused God's commands, they'd be the men that would have Jesus killed on that cross. The same men whose forefathers, the Bible says, had killed the prophets whom God had sent, now they're going to kill the Son whom God has sent. Again, as much as that sinfulness and stubbornness was in them, without Jesus in your life, it's in you too. It's in you too. I want to show a quick video. I think it does a real good job explaining the law and the prophets. And then uh, what I love about it is it, it, it shows us the law and the prophets, but then it shows us how Jesus plays into all of this. It's very encouraging. Uh, I'll come back and share some more thoughts, but uh, please enjoy this. So the Bible is one of the most influential books of all time, but what is it exactly? Yeah, some people treat the Bible like a divine behavior manual that dropped out of heaven. Others use it like a theology dictionary, written to answer all of our questions about God. And others still think of it like a grab bag of spiritual one-liners and inspiring stories. But here's the thing. The Bible isn't written as a rule book or a theology dictionary or even as a collection of inspirational writings. Then what is the Bible? Well, open up the Bible to page one uh, and hold read on. the opening that's not words. The video. In the beginning. Now. It looks great. Uh, it's very exciting. I'm very interested. But that's not the video called the law. If you just want to go online, you could search it, the law. Sorry, I really want you guys to see this, so we can wait. It's not, it's not a big deal. Through the magic of editing, when we post this online, none of this will be here.
the internet's really slow, they say. I mean, I could show it on my phone. That's closer. What do you guys think in the back? I know you guys are working hard. Do you want to try to find it, or should I just move on? I'm, I'm good with either way. You got it? Wait, can we give it up for the media people in the back? Come on. Praise the Lord. Nothing? It's okay. We can we can go without it. All right. It was amazing. You gotta love this. So the people in this parable, the rich man and Lazarus. Again, Jesus is speaking directly to a wickedness that is deep within those that are listening to him. Jesus is very intentional with the stories he tells people. We've got to understand that none of what he says is accident. He's always thinking about the crowd. He's always thinking about who's listening in. And the people that are following Jesus, you've got to get this. They think, I, I've been around enough people, enough even Christians that are this way too. They, they just need another sign. Right, just give me another miracle. Just one more sign. Just one more miracle. One more miracle and then we will believe. Right? Come on. You know, you've been there. One, just one more time and then I'll change my ways. You see, in the way that they've lived their lives, just like the rich man in this parable, by their actions, by their words, by their decisions, by their choices, the way you have lived your life on this earth in such a way where you have avoided caring for the poor, even the poor that are right outside of your gate, not being concerned for the outcast, not being abandoned or cared for the abandoned, when you have completely disregarded God's greatest command to love him and to love others, when you have disobeyed God at that level, I want you to hear this, Things are not okay with your soul. They are not okay. You need help. You need help. There's a terrifying reality. This haunts me more than Halloween ever could. If you think Halloween is scary, this is scarier. There are so many people right now living on this earth that are exactly the same as this rich man, and they think they are okay. They think the way they're living is okay. They don't see a desperate need for a Savior. There's a stubbornness in humanity that terrifies me. I talk to a lot of people in my job, dozens a day probably, and you can just hear it in a person's voice. I don't care what they call them. I hear this from Christians, non-Christians, everybody. You just hear a stubbornness in their voice. They would rather live for themselves, rather live for their own riches, their own comfort, their own convenience, own wants, own desires, own dreams, than to ever think about surrendering to God, to ever bow their knee to God and say, God, teach me how to love God and how to love others. It breaks my heart that in this season, the church hasn't risen up in true repentance to say, forgive us, Father, show us, teach us how to love God and love others. I'm tired of being around people that are just entrenched 
in hate and judgment when we should be falling on our knees saying, Jesus, I repent. Teach me how to love you and to love others. That's the call of the church. And it hurts my pastor's heart to keep on receiving these texts and phone calls and emails that just are missing the mark. His heart, his heart is just reaching out to people, and yet their stubborn hearts will not let him in. And they're rejecting God. They're rejecting God. So scary, isn't it? I mean, it should grieve us. It should freak us out that people around us that we love, that are our family members right now, are rejecting God. But then I, I think you need to hear this life spring, and it's actually kind of encouraging. Lately, I've left many of my conversations with non-Christians with tremendous hope. I mean, it's been fun. And I use that word intentionally. Fun. I've been happy. I've had conversations with non-Christians who are seeking a better way. They don't want to live the life they've been living. Even, I, I just, I've, I've had these conversations, and even if their current realities are messing it up and they're causing destruction, they don't want that church. Can we please stop judging some of these people who are seeking after God? They don't want to live that way anymore. They realize they're coming to realize something is broken, something is missing. They want to live their lives for something bigger and better than themselves. I'd say it this way, their hearts are being stirred. But who are their hearts being stirred by? By God. God is stirring their hearts. They want to know more about God. That's why I'm so excited about Alpha. Oh man, Alpha's going to be fun. Invite those family members. Invite your friends. Invite them. It's going to be fun. F-U-N. It's okay to have fun in church. You know why it's going to be so fun? Because they're curious. They're seeking. Their hearts are stirred. They know that God is knocking on the door of their hearts. God is seeking them, but also they're seeking God. Jesus himself tells us, those who seek me with all their heart, guess what? They're going to find me. That's the promise. If you're here and you're seeking after God, Jesus tells you, seek me with all your heart. And I am going to find you. You're going to find me. You're going to find me. Jesus is not playing hide and go seek with you. Or if he is, he's terrible at it because he always wants to be found. So right now in in 2020, really to oversimplify it all, you can put non-Christians into two main camps. Again, this is a gross oversimplification. But two main camps. One camp those who are seeking after God, those that are open to God, compared to those who in their stubbornness, they want nothing to do with Him. And yet, newsflash, both camps need Jesus. <laughs> we all need Jesus. And Jesus and His radical love, His life, His salvation, they can break through both camps. Right? Come on. You remember the story of Saul and Paul, right? He can break through both camps. His love can break through the most hardened in fact, I think of it this way. Even as Jesus told this story about the man, the rich man, the beggar, all that stuff, because of Jesus' love, his passionate love for his father and his love for those that are listening, he was willing in that moment to accept anyone who would believe him, including, by the way, those religious leaders, including any of the Pharisees. In fact, we know that Pharisees, some of them, do believe in Jesus. Anyone who would count the cost. Anyone who would give up their own plans and desires and live for the kingdom of God, regardless of how they entered into the room, if they were seeking or stubborn, regardless of how they came into that room, he would graciously, radically accept anyone who would repent and believe in him. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. 
But what this video was going to show us, and maybe I can send it out because it really is so good. It shows us that when Jesus came to earth, living, dying, raising again, that it really does change history. Because now with Jesus, when you turn to Jesus, if you're watching online or if you're in this sanctuary, when you confess him as Lord and Savior, you're actually given a new spirit. And you're given a changed heart. Where you now have this ability to follow his commands. Did you know that? Christians are so afraid to say that. But did you know that? That the power of God, you actually have a it changed, transformed. It was a heart of what? He says stone that was turned into a heart of flesh. It's now alive. You have the spirit of God now placed within you. Did you know that, church? That you don't have to go around rejecting God, but by his spirit within you now, you can, by Jesus. Uh, the Bible says he is the high priest of a new covenant. And that Jesus, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. And by Jesus and the Holy Spirit now inside of you, you can obey the greatest commandment of the law, which is to what? Love God and to love others as yourself. The Spirit of God. This is why we talk about the Spirit every Sunday. Because Jesus, what he did on the cross, made a way for the Spirit of God to be living inside of you. And by the Spirit of God within you, you can now love God and love others. No more excuses, church. We can radically love God and love others. How? Not on my own, not in my flesh, but by the power of God living within me. Hallelujah. Jesus changes everything. And that's available to anyone and everyone who turns to Jesus. You don't have to beg for a dip of cool water when you die. You do not have to be separated from God in agony. You can live in joy and abundance eternally with the one who made you and has plans for you. But you've got to hear this. It's only found in Jesus. He's the only way. He's the truth, the life, the way. No one comes to the Father except through him. You've got to get this. Just, if you hear anything today, hear this. It only comes by putting your faith in Jesus. Believing in Jesus. I want to make this clear. Believing in God, like believing He exists, like believing Abraham Lincoln existed or this podium exists, that doesn't do much for you. The Bible says even the demons believe in God. The accuser, the Satan, Satan, he believes in God. Do not ever be confused on this one. It isn't just believing in God that saves you from eternal separation from Him. That rich man in that story probably believed in God. To be saved, you must put your faith, your belief, a real faith in Jesus, in His life, in His death, His resurrection. And then allow Him to radically change you from the inside out. Radically change you where you begin to walk. You walk out the newness of life. That's what Scripture tells us. You walk in faith, where every day you draw closer to God by faith, where your mind is renewed, your heart is transformed, becoming more like Jesus every day. It's a faith. Think of it this way. It's a faith that notices and is moved to compassion for the beggar who is on the outside of the gate with the sores and the hunger. It affects you, church. It affects me. 
It affects our lives, our everyday lives, not just somewhere that we go when we die, but this day, this moment, right now, at uh, this time, that it would affect how we move and breathe. Remember, the rich man, he believed in God. The religious leaders, they believed in God, but these men walked by every day, walked by hurting people, right by the outsider, right by the outcast. They walked again and again and again. And Jesus actually calls them in another portion of Scripture. He says that these men are like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Looking all pretty on the outside, but full of death. Death. In our men's group Thursday night, I loved it. We learned that believers, true believers, we are people of conviction. And our convictions, they stir us up to action. Again, even the demons believed in God, and they're going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. The faith that God requires is a faith that not only believes in God, but trusts God, obeys God, follows God, full of conviction, making decisions and choices to love God and to love others, all to the glory of the one who made you. You know what it makes me think? I was thinking about this just the other day. It makes me think of the criminal on the cross. I think we get this one wrong sometimes, but that criminal on the cross, when he turns to Jesus... Think about it. He knows he's about to die. He's got a few moments left on earth. But look what happens. You can imagine the scene. He looks to Jesus. It's in Luke chapter 23, if you want to look it up. Verse 42 and 43. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You've heard that before, right? Very famous passage. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus' response is so good. He says, truly I tell you, today... You will be with me in paradise. See, what we have to understand in this passage here, you might want to write this down. The criminal didn't just want to be saved from something, but he wanted to be saved into something. Does that make sense? He didn't want to just be saved from something. He wanted to be saved into something. Because you hear it. You hear his heart. He says, remember me. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His heart, his passion is to live in and for the kingdom of God. We've got to understand that he, he didn't want to just be saved so he could keep on messing up. right? He didn't want to be saved so he could just keep on living the life that got him on the cross in the first place. No, he wanted to be saved to be led into a real, abundant, full life, full of the goodness of God, full of the kingdom of God. As you establish your kingdom on earth, Jesus, I want to be a part of it. As you establish your kingdom, Jesus, as you rule, as you reign in your justice and your mercy and your righteousness and your joy, I want to be there. I am so sick and tired of living the way I've been living. I am tired of causing death and destruction wherever I go. So, Jesus, I'm ready for something new. Jesus, I'm ready for something good. I'm ready for something beautiful. Would you help me, Jesus? Would you change me so even if I die on this cross, I'm going to live forever in your kingdom. Glory to God and amen. Come on, church, you know how awesome it's going to be when we see Jesus come back and he consummates his kingdom once and for all. And, oh, man, I hope I get to meet that criminal. Fully restored. Fully redeemed. Just beautiful. Like, right? And just, you can feel it even now. Just fully forgiven, clean, living with purpose, living with intentionality, living God's kingdom. Come on, church. Whole. 
Not what society said he would. A child of God. Living in his kingdom. I'm a citizen of God. Citizen of heaven. Fully restored. Fully redeemed. I can't wait, church. Because it isn't just about being saved from eternal agony. Yes, that's a part of it. But it's about being changed to live in and for the everlasting kingdom of God. Hallelujah. If you're here today, and you're truly seeking after God, if you're watching online and you're truly seeking after God, I just believe that there are those that are right now, if you're, you, you hunger to know that God is real. You hunger to have a relationship with him. If that's you, you just need to hear this. It isn't about just making an intellectual decision that God is real. Again, like Abraham Lincoln. No, it's so much more than that. It is a willingness, and it is radical, and it is an actual faith step. It's a willingness to let go, to let a very real God to radically change you from the inside out so that when all is said and done, for all eternity, you will not be on the outside of the gate looking in, but you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Worship team, come on up. Prayer team, if you would come on up. See, God is calling some of you today to say yes to him. In fact, even as I say that, I don't even need to say that. You don't need a pastor up here to tell you that. Because you know it. You already know that your maker is calling you. You know it's true online or here in person you feel it in your chest your heart can barely your chest can barely contain your heart right it's pounding you have sweaty palms you know it that he's speaking to you in this moment he has this joy and delight over you he offers you this free gift of life of salvation to live in his kingdom forever and his righteousness his peace his joy that's what he's offering you today and by the way no one else including a pastor can change the human heart. But Jesus can, and Jesus will. And I don't care what you've done up to this point. I don't care how good, clean, messy, ugly your life has been. If you come to Jesus, Jesus can change the human heart. Jesus can. When you say yes to Jesus, he can offer you salvation. He can place the Spirit of God into your life that will now radically change you in a walk with Jesus from the inside out. He will give you a new spirit and a transformed heart. As a pastor, I don't want anyone, anyone here, whether you're online or here in person, I wouldn't, what a tragedy if anyone here ended their life and when you took your last breath on earth, you realized you had lived for all the wrong things. Like that rich man, separated in agony. All because of your own choices, right? Because you lived... Your life, you lived your life for yourself and not for God. God doesn't want that for anyone here today. God loves you. He finds so much joy in you. He delights over you. Jesus came. The Bible says, it's a great passage in John 3. You should read it. It says that Jesus came. God sent Jesus uh, to actually save the world. It, it was that, that he didn't want anyone to perish. He, he didn't want anyone to be lost. He wanted you to be saved. The very next verse, if you read John three seventeen, it says, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Oh, you got it all wrong. Jesus came not to condemn you. He came to save you. 
Oh, He loves you. Oh, He loves you. He, he didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. Receive that gift today. Receive that. I don't want to scare you out of hell. I want to lead you into everlasting life. But the choice is yours. If you're going to live separated from God, that will lead you to separation from God. But if you're going to live for God, that will lead you into everlasting life with God. As we sing this song, I, I just say it this way. Place your trust, place your faith, place your hope in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Turn from your life, right? Repent, just, I'm sorry, I'm turning, I, I'm done. But put your faith, a real faith in him as Savior and Lord. And he will make you new and give you everlasting life with him. So we're going to sing this song. If you're ready to turn from your sin, ready to say yes to Jesus, what I would encourage you to do as we sing is actually take the brave step to come forward. And, and that's why Pete is over here, and that's why Lori is over here, is for you to come forward, and they're going to walk with you, to pray with you, to, to start a conversation with God, where you can say, God, I'm laying it down. I'm, I'm letting go. I'm ready to live for something bigger and better than myself. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins. I believe in what you did on that cross, to forgive me of my sins, so that I can now live for eternity with you. So, so I just encourage you as we sing this song, if that kind of makes you nervous, I get that. I would just say, be brave. If you're online, be brave. Uh, we have someone right now online ready to pray with you. Be brave. Type it into that chat. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Be brave. If you're here and that makes you nervous, I get that. I totally understand that. It's even kind of intimidating at times. But if you want to, just grab the person you came with and say, hey, would you come with me up front? Let's do this together. I've done that before with people when they say, hey, Dan, would you come up with me so we can do this together? The person you came in would, would love to do that with you. So let's stand together. Let's sing this song. And again, receive salvation. Receive Jesus into your life. Never be the same again. Never be the same again. Let's sing, I speak Jesus.